0: People are like, oh, adrenal fatigue doesn't exist. Hypothalamic pituitary axis dysfunction. That's actually what it is. It's really the naming of it that got people confused. What's the simplest solution that gets the best results? Focusing on your nutrition making sure that you are getting really good nutrients from your food. There's always more than one way to heal. A lot of the things that we do to help normalize cortisol levels are also gonna help normalize with that whole stress response. So I just really try to meet four of our apps.
1: Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready? To take charge of your existence and biohack your life, this show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to
2: the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends, I am so honored about today's episode. I have been following Dr. Isabella Wentz for so long, so it was a true pleasure to connect with her, and she was just such a beautiful, genuine human being, and we dive deep into so many things that I get so many questions about. Things like cortisol patterns and fasting, how to test your cortisol, saliva versus urine, whether or not you should embrace caffeine. A supplement I've been getting a lot of questions about, especially ever since my old co-host Cynthia Thurlow released her version, which is my inositol, the concept of whether or not adrenal fatigue actually exists. And then some things I feel really passionate about, like the role of boundaries in your life. And Dr. Wentz is so kind. She is actually giving my audience 10% off site-wide for all of her incredible supplements at Rootology. Just use the coupon code Melanie Avalon for 10% off at rootcology.com. That's R-O-O-T-C-O-L-O-G-Y.com. Again, 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon at rootcology.com. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right, get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code, Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MDLogic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin. So you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel their vitamin C serum. They have shampoo and conditioner skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the golden globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code clean for all 20 to get 20% off site-wide. All right. So time for the episode. And as a brief reminder, you can get 10% off site-wide at Dr. Isabella Wentz's site, rootcology.com with the coupon code Melanie Avalon. And now without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Dr. Isabella Wentz. Hi friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have, and you know it's with a guest that I really, really love because I'm recording a little bit of video for the introduction because you guys know I'm not a huge fan of video, but I have been following this woman's work for years, 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 especially because I have hypothyroidism, not Hashimoto's, but just when you have hypothyroidism, you kind of go in all the rabbit holes, Of all the tangents and do all the research. And a legend in that sphere is Isabella Wentz, who I am here with today. She is a pharmacist and a New York Times bestseller. And I originally got into her work for her original books, which include Hashimoto's Thyroiditis and Hashimoto's Protocol. And she has a new book out, which is fantastic. When I heard about it and saw the subject, I was just so, so excited because I think it's something that people, well, a lot of people struggle with for one. And two, there is so much controversy surrounding this topic as in people Think maybe it doesn't even exist. So does it exist? I don't know. We're going to talk about that in today's episode. Her new book is called Adrenal Transformation Protocol, and it deals with the topic of, quote, adrenal fatigue. So I have so many notes, so many questions. The book was absolutely
0: fantastic and fabulous. Isabella, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Melanie. It's an honor to be here with you.
2: So, and I am going to turn off my video in a little bit, but before I do, could you just tell listeners a little bit about your personal story and what led you to writing this book specifically today?
0: So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in my twenties. When I was probably 25 years old, I kept going to doctors and wondering why I was having irritable bowel syndrome, brain fog, fatigue, carpal tunnel in both arms tons of allergies. And really kind of the the thing that, that got to me was that I started losing hair, right? And so I had been going to doctors pretty much every year since I was 18 when I started to have chronic fatigue. And I was like, well, what's going on with me? I was going through undergrad, I went through pharmacy school, didn't really get a lot of answers. And finally, I pushed for testing and I learned that I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis in my 20s. And at that point, I was like, okay, So what can I do about it, right? I had already graduated from pharmacy school and was a practicing pharmacist at the time. And of course, I was excited to get on medications because, you know, what pharmacist isn't, right? (laughs) But the medications, they helped me like a little bit. I was like, oh, these thyroid medications, I learned about in pharmacy school like that. This is the answer. When you have a thyroid condition, you take a thyroid medication. And I was like, wait a minute, but I'm still losing my hair, I'm still having like brain fog and fatigue. I need a little bit less sleep. I'm going from like 12 hours of sleep to 11 hours of sleep, but I'm still having acid reflux and carpal tunnel and just all of these symptoms. And I was like, is there anything I can do beyond taking medications or in addition to or whatnot? And then I started to really research some of the root causes of Hashimoto's and autoimmune disease and some of the symptoms that I was dealing with. And that's how I became a Hashimoto's expert slash human guinea pig was just really trying to get myself to feel halfway human in my 20s. And I fortunately was able to get myself into remission after a few years. And then I released my first book, Hashimoto's, The Root Cause 10 years ago. And this really documented my journey from having full-blown Hashimoto's with a ton of symptoms to getting myself into remission and and feeling amazing. I, I, you know, I had energy again, my, my hair was, came back and I was like, wow, people need to know this. I'm a pharmacist, but here I am talking about other things that you could do beyond medications. At the same time, I thought I was the right person to get that message out because, you know, I'm like, I was trained in medications and people need to know beyond meds. Part of what I did to heal myself was changing my diet around and going gluten-free and dairy-free was, was such a big breakthrough for me for acid reflux and IBS and carpal tunnel. But then I still struggled with like the brain fog and the fatigue and unrefreshing sleep and anxiety and the panic attacks. And then I was like, okay, asking questions, going to different practitioners. And I kept hearing the term adrenal fatigue and being like a skeptical pharmacist, I'm looking it up and I go online and it says adrenal fatigue doesn't exist, right? It's like a made up disorder. You don't have adrenal fatigue. So I was like, okay, I don't have this. Obviously, like I'm not going to be fooled like whatever these people are saying, and then just tried other things. You know, I'm like putting coconut oil on my thyroid gland. Maybe that'll help, right? It it, it didn't. (laughs) Spoiler alert. And finally, I got into, okay, somebody mentioned adrenal fatigue again. I'm just going to look into it. I'm going to try the things. I've kind of tried everything else at that point. And sure enough, I had done the tests and I had adrenal dysfunction and low levels of cortisol production throughout the day and holy cow the treatments that i used for this actually worked and i was like oh so this thing that people said didn't exist actually you can test for it and i had the test results and then i did what the test results said to do and i actually got better you know i haven't had a panic attack in over 10 years i don't have anxiety anymore it turns out that i'm a pretty laid back person I'm not a really high strung person i have refreshing sleep i have energy even when i wake up in the morning which was you know, such a, such a rare thing for me to be waking up with energy. And then some of this shifted over the last decade. I've been talking about it. I've been helping people with it. And I had my set of protocols that really focused on either using hormones or like really intensive lifestyle changes, like sleep for 10 to 12 hours, a night for 30 days. And then I found myself five years ago in another bout of adrenal quote-unquote fatigue Where I was a new mom and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't take hormones and I can't sleep for 12 hours a night because I have this little person that I have to care for every two to three hours all night. And so I came across a new way to rebalance the stress response that is known as adrenal fatigue and to actually get people to, to thrive in a few weeks. That is so incredible. And I'm like making a list in my head. It's so many things I want
2: to touch on. And it really, I mean, it really shows your. I mean, you're glowing, your hair looks amazing. <laughs> and you just, so I'm um, clearly everything that you're doing is working. Okay. Wow. So, so many questions for you. So I actually have a question first, just about your career, something that stuck with me. I don't know, I think it was my mom who told me this like forever ago, but it was one of those little things she like said in passing when I was probably younger and it just really stuck with me and it was about how when it comes to like knowing things about conventional medicine, pharmacists are the ones that know. Not to say that conventional doctors don't know things. I think a lot of us don't really appreciate how much pharmacists probably know about medications. and i'm I'm just really interested in like the schooling that goes into that and your experience as a pharmacist. Like how do you think it informed your perspective of medicine and health, especially when it comes to comparing it or putting it up against the functional medical world?
0: Mm. So it's such a great question. Most pharmacists go through a four- year program for undergraduate studies. so this would be something like a similar to a pre-med program, usually biology, chemistry, physics, all those fun things. And then there's a four-year graduate program, a doctorate degree in pharmacy, which is what I went through. And it's its a lot of medications, right? It's a lot of chemistry. It's a lot of pharmacology, a lot of, you know, here's what a disease might look like, and here are the treatment options. And I will say I was taught about other treatment options but it was like very much light like a few percent of the conversation would be spent on like lifestyle right my my professor sure do try did try but a lot of it was focused on like these are the medications that you would utilize so as you can imagine for four years just studying medications and then optimize medication use there are advanced certifications for that as well so I'm trained in medication therapy management. So this is how to choose the right kind of medication for the right person. And there there are a lot of nuances that go into medications and precision medicine. It's like so many different options for one condition. And how do you choose the best option for that individual based on the other medications that they're taking, their risk factors? There's also pharmacogenomics that that looks at their genetic profile to figure out what might be the optimal medication for that person. So so yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of the pharmacists that work in the community, their primary job and I think what most people know pharmacists as is is you know, you bring in your prescription and they fill it in the back of the pharmacy and they bring you your medications, but the schooling that goes into it really prepares you to to be like on the front lines of Hey, this is you know, this is a person that's got all these chronic health conditions and everything is going on with this person's life and they have a ton of medications that they're taking. How do you create the most safe and effective plan for them? And so that was really my training and after pharmacy school, I tried working in the community and I enjoyed it. Part of me enjoyed it, but at the other part, I was like, wait, I want to use some of this other knowledge that I learned. And so I started working more in a consulting role for people with really complicated health conditions. So typically the individuals I would help advise usually had numerous disabilities, rare genetic disorders, sometimes mental health issues, sometimes a few chronic health conditions. And I would be looking into like a whole body assessment and looking at all of their health conditions and medications and how to really create a plan for them, oftentimes when there wasn't a clear defined guideline. And so I, I guess my training is a little bit unique because I, for the clients that I worked with, with rare disorders, I had to learn so much. I had to always be on top of the latest research. Sometimes it was forums of of parents who had children with these disorders to try to find out what was actually working for these individuals who maybe didn't have a lot of answers from a conventional medical standpoint. And this is what I ended up using for my own health to try to figure out how to get myself better. I'm so
2: fascinated by it. I was thinking more about why I'm so fascinated by it because I think on... I don't think any of the authors or people that I've interviewed have that background specifically. And I think what's so interesting about it is rather than you know conventional doctors where the focus is usually like one specialty, I'm assuming with, with the pharmacology, it requires you to have knowledge, like you just said, over such a broad spectrum of, I mean, the entire health spectrum, essentially. So... That's really fascinating to me. Wait, so did you put coconut oil on your thyroid, like on your skin?
0: Yes, my skin looked beautiful, but it didn't heal my thyroid. Wow, that's amazing.
2: I also, by the way, with my thyroid stuff that I went through, the hair loss was happening. And the panic that comes with that is very, or at least for me, it was very intense. Like I was like, I have to fix this. Like I have to do all the things. So I definitely empathize there. Okay. So coming back though, to the topic of today, which is the quote, adrenal fatigue. So I mentioned it, you mentioned it. There's this concept that it doesn't exist. So why, <laughs> what is going on there? Does it exist? And and what is Addison's for example?
0: That's such a great question. So kind of going back to the history of it all, I I've been trying to sort sort of the myths and there's a lot going on and I guess natural medicine that may not be 100% accurate or even helpful like you know coconut oil over your thyroid glands. you know some things just work and some things don't work and so I always try to figure out how it started and where the theory came from and sort of the history of it and so I think it's helpful to talk about the history of adrenal fatigue about 25 years ago a naturopathic doctor named James Wilson wrote a book by that title because he noticed this pattern in some of his patients, where they really weren't getting a diagnosis or much help from their conventionally trained doctors, where it was really like this person is kind of tired, they have brain fog, they have morning fatigue, they have anxiety, they might have a mild version of depression, they have trouble falling asleep, they're wired but tired. They, when they get up too quickly, they feel lightheaded, they have salt cravings, and light sensitivity, and he termed this kind of syndrome or this presentation as adrenal fatigue. His initial theory was that this was related to Addison's disease. Now, Addison's disease is a condition where our adrenal glands, which produce our cortisol, which is our main stress hormone, among other things, cannot physically, they're unable to produce adequate amounts of cortisol to get us through the day. And Addison's disease, it's usually an autoimmune condition where the immune system starts to attack the adrenal glands. This will manifest like that low cortisol pattern will be seen when 90% of the adrenal glands have been destroyed. And then the adrenal glands physically, they cannot produce any cortisol And a person will have symptoms similar to those of adrenal fatigue, but like far more intense where they might be bedridden. They cannot walk, right? And this is usually a situation where a person might go to intensive care. They might be hospitalized for this situation. And this generally requires, you know, hormonal support once they get this diagnosis. And so Dr. Wilson, his theory was that could adrenal fatigue kind of be the early stages of Addison's, maybe only 60% of your adrenal glands are destroyed, something to that effect. So he thought people with adrenal fatigue could not produce their own cortisol. Now, more research has been done since that time. And I can't say that maybe there isn't, or there aren't some people who, who maybe have a mild version of Addison's or the early stages of Addison's that present that way. But we now understand that adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, and I would say the more accurate term that I tend to use is adrenal dysfunction. This is essentially the way that the body responds to stress. So when we've been stressed out for a long time, our body will shift into this state known as adrenal dysfunction. The scientific term is hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction. This happens over time because initially when we're stressed, the body gets the message to produce more cortisol. As that goes on for too long and we still keep having stress, exposure, and perception of stress, the body will eventually compensate. You know, some of the cortisol receptors can become saturated, desensitized. And essentially what can happen with time is that the body still senses stress. And so our brain will will send a message to... The adrenal glands to produce stress hormones, but then the adrenal glands don't respond properly. And there seems to be this communication breakdown along the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis where it's like, yes, I'm stressed and yes, I need to make cortisol, but my adrenal glands are not doing it. And usually it's because you've been in a chronic stress state. So, you know, people are like, oh, adrenal fatigue doesn't exist. And I'm like, okay, why don't you do a PubMed search for hypothalamic pituitary axis? dysfunction, because that's that's actually what it is. So that's the scientific term for it. And I believe that the kind of, I guess, skepticism around it comes from the term adrenal fatigue, sounding a lot like adrenal insufficiency, which is another name for Addison's. People would go to their doctors after, you know, reading something online, or maybe working with their naturopaths, and they'd go to an endocrinologist and say, Can you test my adrenals? And the endocrinologist would do the tests for Addison's and they would say, you do not have Addison's disease, right? So this is, I feel like I've been talking about it a lot and I'm like, this is kind of like a a nomenclature thing where it's really the naming of it that got people confused and the initial theory about what the mechanism of action was behind this.
2: So basically when people think adrenal fatigue, they think the adrenals literally cannot produce cortisol, but really they're just not. <laughs> they're just choosing not to, or they're not hearing. Are they not hearing the message or are they hearing the message and choosing not to?
0: I think it could be one or both of, a bit of both of these. I think the key is that they're physically going to be healthy, but they're not producing cortisol at the right times and the, in the right amounts. Some of the theories behind that would be the receptor- desensitization so that cortisol receptors maybe pick up the messages and they don't send it forward. But it is is something that is very, very common to the point where a lot of the symptoms are so common that they get brushed off, but you, you can actually test for adrenal dysfunction through some integrative tests as well.
2: So when they're testing for adrenal dysfunction, what do they test specifically?
0: Some of the Some of the tests that I find the most helpful are going to be things like the adrenal saliva test. And this is cortisol. You can test your cortisol secretion throughout the day. Generally, we want to have a healthy cortisol response first thing in the morning. And then you should have a kind of gradual decline of cortisol production throughout the day so that in the evenings you can can rest and sleep. And the the te- the cortisol levels can be tested throughout the saliva. And then there's also a Dutch profile test that looks at your cortisol levels in and your cortisol metabolites in your urine. So this is another test that we can do. These tests, you know, they're not going to be like approved by your insurance. And the endocrinologists may not be utilizing them. So generally, if you're going to an integrative practitioner or a functional medicine practitioner, this is a person that may be able to order those tests for you or, or you can self-order them online.
2: You spoke in the book about, you know, hurdles you experienced with your program with testing and changes in labs and things like that. In general though, do you find both the saliva and the urine, are they accurate portrayals of the whole body status of cortisol or do you think one is more accurate than the other?
0: So yeah, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of Issues with testing in the last decade. So normally, I, I try to educate people about doing. You know, do you have adrenal dysfunction? This might be a part of what's going on with your body if you have these symptoms. And then they'd go to their endocrinologist and get tested for Addison's. And the, the you know the doc would be like, I, "You don't have this." So then it would be like, "Okay, well you actually have to go to an integrative practitioner." And then they would do the tests. Sometimes they wouldn't do the tests. Sometimes the tests would just be sitting at their houses for a few months before they did them. But the tests that I have found to be accurate are going to be both the cortisol saliva tests, such as the ZRT lab. It doesn't matter which lab company does it. I have worked with a whole host of different labs. I used to use a company called BioHealth in the past where I could, I could look at a person's symptoms and I could draw their cortisol curve and the, the test results I would get would, you know, would match perfectly. And then after some time, they redefined their reference ranges. And so I would be talking to people who were tired all day, and then I'd get their results back. and then it would and and the because the reference ranges were adjusted, the person would come back with quote unquote, normal cortisol secretion throughout the day. And so I ended up having to go back and use the old reference ranges, and that's what a lot of integrative practitioners were doing. This company has since closed. But typically, I found ZRT lab can be, you know, the most accurate for that as far as saliva testing. Some of the things that can be tricky is if people have a lot of fat in their bodies, that can actually secrete cortisol. So that can throw off those results. And then, of course, if people drink caffeine, that that can throw off the results as well. If people have issues with producing enough saliva, so some people with with Shorgren's or other conditions of dry mouth, might have an issue with that. And I really love the Dutch test because it looks at urinary metabolites. So that gives us a little bit more information. So it looks at how the body processes the cortisol as well. And it has a few additional markers. The tricky thing about the Dutch test, and I will say this, so appreciate what they do, but the tests are so challenging to understand and read that it took me like three to five years to like master that test where the cortisol saliva test, I can just give it to a person. And most people without any kind of medical training or background can understand how to read that test. Whereas the Dutch test can be, it, it, it's a little bit nuanced to understand the results.
2: And something I will mention for listeners, and I'm sure we'll touch on this, but you wrote your book and you have your program, which does not even require testing. You know, people can read it and self diagnose based on symptoms and do the protocol without necessarily testing. So that's making everything so accessible. So thank you for that. Two things you mentioned. One, you've been mentioning the cortisol receptors in the body, as well as what you were just saying about the fat cells releasing cortisol. So where all in the body are receptors for cortisol? And then the second question is, does it matter where the cortisol is coming from as far as how we feel from it? So like cortisol being produced by the adrenals versus cortisol from fat cells?
0: Such a great question. One of the places where we have a high concentration of cortisol receptors is in our belly. So people who tend to have more belly fat, this can be a cortisol response. And I do think it matters because, you know, is, is it coming from a person having too much weight or is it coming from stress, right? And and both things are stress per se, but the approach might be a little bit different. Gotcha.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Okay, still on the cortisol front. How does it compare to epinephrine and norepinephrine? Because I think for all of those, we think like stress hormones. What's the difference between them?
0: So our epinephrine and norepinephrine, these are also secreted during a stress response. And cortisol is typically something that is secreted in a circadian fashion when we're healthy. People typically hear about cortisol being high, this might be a problem, right? That's kind of the mainstream medical approach. It's like your cortisol is too high, you're going to be having trouble. But cortisol, we really do need it for optimal function, we can have issues with it being too high or too low. And so typically, we do want more cortisol secreted in the morning and that to follow a circadian fashion where the cortisol levels decline throughout the day. Whereas there are things like adrenaline dominance and other kinds of things that may occur when somebody has dis- a dysregulated stress response. For the common patterns that I've really focused on are going to be those cortisol responses when a person isn't producing enough cortisol so that they're not properly managing the inflammation in the body, they're not they're not producing enough energy throughout the day and they're having perhaps too much cortisol in the evenings when they're not sleeping at night. So There's a lot of different hormones that are produced by the adrenal glands. There are a lot of hormones that are produced in response to stress. I feel like cortisol is probably the most relevant one for a lot of us. And this is a great place for people to to really start and dial in. A lot of the things that we do to help normalize cortisol levels are also going to help normalize with that whole stress response. So even people with some of the adrenaline dominance symptoms balancing cortisol. But in my book, it's all going to help.
2: So you just mentioned the role of inflammation. That's something else I've always been a little bit confused about because I've read cortisol is both, I've read it's anti-inflammatory and that it's inflammatory. So when you say managing inflammation, what is the role of cortisol in inflammation?
0: That's, yeah, that's such a great question because when we think, typically hear about cortisol, when we have too much of it, it can be inflammatory. It can cause breakdown of tissues in our body, right? And that can be inflammatory. And when we don't have enough of it, it can be a problem where our inflammation goes unchecked. So cortisol is naturally has anti-inflammatory benefits. And it is something that our body releases when it senses stress, when it senses inflammation. So what I've seen in my experience is people that have low levels of cortisol, this may be a pattern that occurs before they start getting some sort of a chronic inflammatory condition such as thyroiditis or colitis where their inflammation goes unchecked and the body kind of ends up in this breaking itself down mode and doesn't spend enough time in like managing inflammation and repairing.
2: Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. Melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Melanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. I've been so confused about that for so long because I knew that cortisol is, you know, like you said, has anti inflammatory properties. But then we so associate it with. You know, chronic inflammation and inflammation. So that is interesting. Okay, so this curve, you talk in your book about what a normal, you know, and you mentioned it just now, what a normal cortisol curve circadian curve looks like for a, a given person, and then how there's these three stages where things start going awry. One thing I'm really interested about with that curve, do you have thoughts on circadian chronotypes? And so people who are, you know, morning people versus evening people and them having a, a delayed cortisol spike. I was going down the rabbit hole of t- trying to find all the studies I could find on this. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? And does that come into play with if somebody is more susceptible to adrenal dysfunction?
0: So, I've gone through some of those rabbit holes as well. So, I used to think that I was that person where I would have you know, kind of trouble waking up in the morning, right? And then you're might have this night owl person that has trouble falling asleep at night. These individuals are also tend to be more sensitive to like light and dark, right? So they're going to be the ones that are going to be more likely to have seasonal affective depression. And they're going to be potentially the people that have a harder time around the full moon, and they might have a harder time sleeping around the full moon. And so I I've, I've kind of gone through this deep dive on that and one of the interesting studies that I came across is that a lot of this can be reset by getting really in alignment with circadian rhythms. So, how do we do that? We can go camping <laughs> for 2 weeks in nature, right? And then we have this natural exposure to light and dark. Part of why I think we have a lot of these chronotypes is because of The wonders of modern technology, where we have these beautiful lights in our homes and we have wonderful television shows and we have phones that let us connect with the entire world and computers, right? And so we kind of lose the signal of when is it daytime and when is it nighttime because the lights inside of our house are not as bright as outside lights, right? But they still give us more light than complete darkness could. And so if we spend enough time indoors and we don't get early morning sunshine, and if we have the lights on after dark, some people tend to be more sensitive than others, then we can get really disconnected from that circadian rhythm and that circadian cortisol production. And so... I don't I can't say I've worked with every single person who identifies as a night owl. And I can't say that I've worked with every single person that's a late riser, but I have to say that I've worked with enough people where we focus on rebalancing their circadian rhythm, where they're like, oh no, I now have energy in the morning and I, I could sleep at night now. I thought I was a night owl. So I, you know, I'm never gonna speak at absolutes, but in I kind of think maybe it's a myth from what I've seen and what, what we can do with just proper light exposure.
2: So for you, you said normally you felt like you're more of a night person. Did you ever like actually feel like a morning person <laughs>
0: like, when you healed your adrenals? I never felt like a morning person until I healed my adrenals. So I used to be up until like 2 to 3, 4 a.m. trying to get, you know, things done. I would wake up with brain fog, kind of confused. I was like, where am I? Who am I? Why am I here? Like, why, why is it so bright? And and all of that, and then I started really working with circadian rhythm work and realigning with that. And it's like morning time, I wake up with energy, and nighttime, I get tired. In our house, we do like red lights after sunset, and we're, we're very intense like that. I I don't know, you know, I've worked with over thirty five hundred people that have gone through my adrenal transformation protocol, and a big part of what we do is we really focus on realigning with the circadian rhythm, and you know, more than nine, around 89% of people have less fatigue and more around 80% of people sleep better at night and they're able to fall asleep and stay asleep. And, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like this is something that you can definitely rebalance when you just get enough light exposure and you get really refreshing, restful sleep at night. Right. And really manage your stress too. Cause stress can, can make us all kinds of, Crazy,
2: yeah, no. so I think because I okay, well, first of all, I'm like the same as you. So I do all the red lights and the blue light blocking glasses and all the things. I think where I've landed presently is that because I just intuitively feel like a night person. But on top of that, though, I also used to really struggle with sleep and felt like I needed way more sleep and then I was I didn't feel rested and I had insomnia. So now I've really like addressed all of that with everything I've been doing health-wise and light exposure and circadian rhythm and all the things. I still go to bed late and wake up late. I'm just actually like sleeping well, (laughs) not having insomnia. So I feel like I'm like halfway in between. What do you consider late? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Like like you mentioned, like 3 or 4 a.m.
0: I will say some people do find that they're more productive and they may prefer that lifestyle if they let's say there's a lot going on throughout the day but just having that I know a lot of creative people may feel that's when they can get a lot of things done and and have that open time to create but i think like the key is like you you don't have to be that way like if you wanted to be a morning person you could be.
2: I want to so bad. And I, yeah, I mean, it's like a whole thing. I'll like lament to my mom. I'm like, mom, I want to be a morning person, but she she's also identifies as like a night owl. And so she's like, Melanie, you were born this way. <laughs> she's like, she's like, as long as you can, you know, do your lifestyle this way, just keep on going. So I'm always on the fence where I'm like, I want to be a morning person. I want to work on this but maybe not. I don't know. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. So I'm, I'm very motivated hearing what you just said that you've worked with so many patients and have seen, you know, this ability for people. So I'm inspired. (laughs) Maybe I'll work on it some more. Okay. So, well, speaking of those stages to define them for listeners, did you come up with the three stages in the book based on all of the work that you've done with your patients or people that you've worked with?
0: As far as the different patterns of adrenal dysfunction?
2: Yes, like the stage one, and then the roller coaster stage, and then the stage three.
0: I did not come up with that. I cannot take credit for that. This is just traditional functional medicine training. There is a lot of different lab companies, and some of them have you know tons of different stages of adrenal dysfunction that you can present with. The most common patterns I've seen are the ones that I talked about, where a person can either have too much cortisol produced throughout the day. And so this is a person that's like wakes up edgy and wired and that goes on the entire day and they have trouble falling asleep at night. And this is considered stage one. This may be a place where people start off. Then stage two is when a person might have normal levels of cortisol secreted throughout the day, but they're just not produced at the right times. So they might have low cortisol in the morning and then high cortisol in the evening. And this is that typical night owl pattern where that person has a hard time getting up in the morning. And I honestly, that was me for the longest time. And I don't ever remember being a morning person until I really started working with with this adrenal transformation protocol. And this person has a hard time, you know, you, you're kind of like the night owl you're, you're the life of the party. Everybody's ready to go home and you're ready to dance. Right. And so this is, this is a presentation that can occur. Another presentation might be where a person is on a blood sugar roller coaster where they start off with low energy in the morning, and then they might have more energy as the day goes on. And then they drop and then they have usually anxiety or mood swings and then they have a harder time falling asleep at night where they're kind of like on an emotional roller coaster. They're like every day at three o'clock I feel anxious or every day at three o'clock I feel tired might be some something that a person may say. And then probably the most common stage that I've seen in people is going to be low cortisol production throughout the day where a person will have very low amounts of cortisol released in the morning, low amounts all throughout the day and low amounts in the evenings. These are typically people that I see with hypothyroidism, about 62% of people fall in that category. And then people with chronic fatigue syndrome and people with fibromyalgia typically fall in that category as well, where they wake up tired. They're tired like at one o'clock, they're tired at three o'clock, they go to bed tired and then they have unrefreshing sleep. And then some of these individuals may get that second wind in the evening, which, which is like, oh, great. So I'm tired all day, tired all the time, but I also can't sleep.
2: Because you mentioned different types of people in those different stages. Do most people progress through those stages or do some people just, you know, live in one stage?
0: It's, that's an interesting question. So what I've been taught is that the stages are progressive. When my experience in testing people over the years, if you kind of do nothing about your lifestyle, the stages can kind of progress and get worse. For some people, it might take a year. Some people might take months. For other people, it might take 10 years, but they generally are thought to be progressive. If you really work on your health, you can get back into that healthy cortisol pattern. And just, you know, you can be very, you can be working on your health and be very healthy, but just not knowing the type of things to reset that can, can you know, basically mean that a person could get stuck in that progressive cortisol dysfunction pattern. Awesome. Well, speaking of things to reset that, so your
2: protocol is honestly, it's breathtaking. What I love about it is I think when a lot of people think of health issues, oftentimes it's siloed in a specific approach as in it's diet. Like it's a diet solution, or it's a mindset solution or it's a supplement solution, But you really there's a breadth to your work and it's its whole body. So it encompasses the diet aspect of it, the lifestyle, the sleep the mindset. I, I really love the the parts of the book about the mindset issue and, or aspect of it all. So many questions. One, coming up with your protocol, because you, you talk in the book about, and you mentioned it on this podcast as well, how historically your protocol dealt more with the supplement side, or you talk about how you originally worked more with testing and endogenous hormone were you using exogenous hormone supplementation in your protocol initially, or was that never a thing for you?
0: Yeah. So initially I was doing a lot of testing. And then when I started working with clients 10 plus years ago, I was utilizing pregnenolone and DHEA in, in like a circadian fashion to reset that cortisol production where they'd get a little bit more of it in the morning. Pregnenolone is a precursor to cortisol and all of these other things. Hormones and to try to kind of reset their production. And this worked well for some people, not for everybody. So some people may utilize DHEA and it can overconvert to estrogen and can worsen estrogen dominance. Other women may overconvert it to something that causes chin hair and acne, never fun. And then some women, you know, like with a history of like family history of breast cancer or other kind of estrogen receptive cancers they may not want to use hormones at all because it's like they're they're trying to keep that in balance and minimize those risk factors and so that worked well for for some people that I worked with it it can work it worked well for me the first time I got out of adrenal fatigue when I started to kind of educate people more online and through like programs I got a bit nervous about people just dosing themselves on hormones because you can really you can really mess things up with like pregnenolone. The first practitioner that I went to gave me such a high dose of pregnenolone that I ended up like really fluid retained and had a lot of pain in my body. It was it was a pretty scary situation. And so you really have to be working with a practitioner that's knowledgeable because there's so many factors that can impact the dosing, right? Not, not just weight. (laughs) And so then I was like, well, how do I help people get out of this? What are some additional things they can do? And then I got onto like, oh, we can do like heavy duty lifestyle things. Right. And I got into like, okay, you could sleep for 10 to 12 hours a night and then you could quit caffeine and just really like focus on decommitting and de-stressing your life. And that worked well for, for some people that were able to do it. Right. Of course, you know, I had the clients that were like, you know, I quit the coffee and like 60% of my joy is gone, but I still have all the symptoms. Right. And so my protocols have just evolved with me over the last decade to try to figure out what are, you know, what are like, I'm always thinking about like what's the simplest solution that gets the best results and what, my pharmacist training is always like what's the safest thing right like rather than like doing hormones and then like what's the most like achievable thing my training is also in like compliance or patient adherence so it's hard for me to tell people like to heal your adrenals you're gonna have to quit coffee and sleep for 10 to 12 hours a night it's like pete some of my clients will be like i'm out <laughs> not doing <anything>. okay,
2: bye <laughs> Eventually, want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalanceCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at melanieavalonscloset.com. That's melanieavalonscloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's melanieavalonscloset.com. Oh man. Okay. More questions about that. One just really quick, tiny question. Pregnalone. Did I say that right? Pregnenolone. Pregnenolone. Okay. I knew I was saying that wrong. Okay. I as well, like way in the past, had a doctor suggest that I take it, but I read about how it could become different things. So I was on the fence. What
0: all can it become? It is known as our mother hormone and it is produced from cholesterol and it can convert into all kinds of, of hormones in our bodies, including that cortisol, it could convert to progesterone, it can convert to DHEA, it can convert to testosterone. So and I have a chart, I wish, maybe we can do a screenshot of it for your audience. But it, it's, it's, you know, it's something that can convert to a, a whole bunch of different things. And it's a precursor. So when you take it externally, the theory was that your body didn't have enough pregnenolone to create some of these other hormones that the conversion will just happen. So let's say you were low on progesterone, then you can just supplement with pregnenolone and, and that would correct the progesterone deficiency. Sometimes this happens, but sometimes kind of the dial switch may be still turned. So you might be low in progesterone, but rather than pregnenolone going down the progesterone pathway, it may get converted to like DHEA and then over converted to estrogen. So it's not you know, it'd be nice if you could just be like, okay, turn into this hormone, turn into this hormone, but that that doesn't always happen. And so then some professionals may be like, okay, well, let's use progesterone or let's use this specific hormone. Right.
2: Okay. That's really interesting. So it's sort of like if you had a kid that was lack, didn't have food and you gave them money, you got to just hope that they go buy food, but they might go buy like a toy or drugs
0: (laughs) or candy. Right. Or candy. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Okay. Wow. That is so interesting. So when you did land on the current manifestation of your plan, is one thing most important, like diet, sleep, lifestyle, mindset, or is it really all of them? I mean, I know you mentioned that different things work for different people. How did you approach that as far as actually making the protocol and what's most important and the order people go in? all of that?
0: So in, when I created this protocol initially for myself, I was a sleep deprived mom. And one of the fastest ways to get into adrenal dysfunction is through sleep deprivation. So if you are deprived of sleep and if you can get lots of sleep, that would be the fastest way to help yourself and get out. I also know, but you know, this wasn't realistic for me. So then I had to focus on other things. I have 14 different safety signals throughout the book that focus on kind of meeting you where you're at. So maybe this isn't necessarily accessible to you right now at the moment, but maybe you can choose some of the protocols and strategies for a lot of people. What's very accessible is balancing their blood sugar. And this is actually where we start with for majority of the people. When I released the adrenal transformation protocol as a program to my community in 2020 We focused on, okay, the first week we're going to get ramped up. We're going to kind of get educated and get ready and get to to do the program. And then we would start with the diet piece. So making sure that you're eating for blood sugar balance. Generally, that means more protein and fats than the average person. And we're limiting some of the carbohydrates. So to really get your body into that blood sugar balance state, For many people, this alone just really can help with things like anxiety and waking up in the middle of the night, kind of people that tend to wake up between 3am or so are going to be the ones that are going to have blood sugar issues at night. Then I focus on getting off of some of the inflammatory foods. People might have all kinds of different foods that they react to depending on what's going on with their microbiome. Generally speaking, if you have, if you're in that stress state, you're going to have low amounts of stomach acid. And so protein that are more difficult to to digest, such as gluten, dairy, and soy are going to be the foods that I have people get off of just because they're the most common inflammatory foods for most people. And then I also have them get off of grains just because of the blood sugar issue. So this is a really solid place to start is focusing on your nutrition and making sure that you are, you know, that you're really nourished and that you are getting really good nutrients from your food and you're getting your macronutrients. And and we try to eat as neutrally dense as possible as well to, to, to help send some of those safety signals. And this is a solid, solid foundation And then we kind of move into, you know, we're working on some of the mindset things and setting intentions throughout that process, just because, you know, it's like making a plan (laughs) makes everything so much easier. And then we'll start adding in some of the supplements and then going a little bit deeper into some of the mindset and resilience work. Once our body's kind of happy and cool and not inflamed, it's much easier for some of the you know, mindset and resilience work. So we're not going to be as triggered, for example, if we're well-fed and blood sugar balanced as, as we would be had we try to just do some of the personal growth things that can be um, sometimes triggering if we're not properly balancing.
2: I loved the trigger section of your book. Before talking about that, quick question about the blood sugar concept. So I think this might be a little bit of a controversial question, but When it comes to the blood sugar balancing and especially people with low blood sugar. So part of your protocol does include at certain points, a little bit of fruit juice. If people have low sugar, low blood sugar, and I think people in the keto world might be like, what you should, you should not have that for low blood sugar. Like you need to keto it out and address it that way. So how did you come to dealing with that issue specifically? You know, people with low blood sugar actually using like a carbohydrate to bring it back up versus going on a perpetual low carb diet?
0: You know, in my experience and working with people, like I've, I've tried a lot of protocols with different people where initially I'd be like, oh my gosh, this person's feeling worse before they feel better. And that's always where I have a person maybe they go keto and, and they're not properly digesting fats or protein, and then they feel so much worse, right? And maybe they go through a situation where they're trying to do more exercise, which is generally good for them, but then they feel worse after it. And so everything that I put into the program is focused on how do we make you feel better, right? Rather than like having you, you know, do fasting. And then you, we know that's really good for us but the first few days we feel miserable so like again i'm trying to think of what is like the most likely to result in people utilizing this strategy cuz there's there's always more than one way to heal there's just so many different pathways to healing and i can't say you know one is wrong but and another one is the right path to go but i will say for a lot of the people that i've worked with having a little bit of orange juice and you add some protein powder, and you could add some coconut milk and electrolytes, blend it up in a smoothie. Having that first thing in the morning really helps you wake up. The electrolytes kind of help your cortisol levels increase naturally. It provides a beautiful feedback to the body because people with morning fatigue and low morning cortisol also tend to have low blood pressure in the mornings. And they also tend to have low blood sugar in the mornings. And it's like, they're very disoriented. And in my, you know, kind of in my experience as a pharmacist, it's like one of the fastest ways to get people out of that low blood sugar state was through like, you know, juice, (laughs) give them some OJ, right? And this, I do it though, combining with the protein and fat. So you don't get that blood sugar crash afterwards. And this really can restore people's energy levels and kind of get their circadian rhythm back on track. And then they can tolerate more things like fasting and then they can do better with the keto diet because sometimes, you know, you introduce the keto diet and people are like, I can't wake up and I'm waking up all throughout the night or I'm doing this. And I'm like, okay, what can we do to get a person to feel better? Because if I, you know, sometimes you only have one chance to help a person as a practitioner or whatnot before they're like, I don't trust this person anymore. I I did what they said and I feel worse. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I really love hearing that, especially because I think that was something I really did appreciate about the book was what you just touched on the nuance with the diet because I think so many people, you know, a lot of people are like all keto or they're like all high carb, low fat, and it's nice to see that you know people are at different places and that there might actually be a sort of blend that can work for people. Do do you work often with people with continuous glucose monitors?
0: I love continuous glucose monitors. I think they could provide so much feedback to our bodies and. The beautiful thing, too, is it might differ for person. So I know I was talking to one of my girlfriends that was like, rice, I cannot eat rice. And another person's like, I do just fine with rice, but grapes, grapes are my, are the thing that really sets me off. So it's really, really helpful. It's not, I don't require for people to use a CGM throughout the process it is something that can be super, super helpful to figure out exactly how your body's responding to the foods that you're eating. Do you wear a CGM often? I, yes, but it kind of gets me in trouble because being somebody that loves to experiment, I'll be like, what happens if I drink rosé today, all day? It actually kind of, you know, for most people would keep them on track. For me, it kind of keeps me off track, if that makes sense, because I just love experimenting. I'm like, what would happen if I did this?
2: That's so funny. Oh, well, got to drink all the wine. <laughs> got to see what happens.
0: In the name of science, right? I'll that.
2: That's funny. No, I love that. Just to clarify about mentioning the fasting, do you think most people with adrenal dysfunction, since I'm also the host of the Intermittent Fasting podcast, I have a lot of listeners that do fasting. Do some people have adrenal dysfunction and at the beginning be okay with fasting? Or do you feel like most people need to heal a little bit first? How do you feel about the spectrum of fasting as far as it being appropriate for people?
0: So for myself, like today, I can intermittently fast and I oftentimes do and I feel great with it. When I was not sleeping well at night or when I was going through a very stressful time, this was not a thing, right? So that actually made me feel worse. Um, I feel like people really need to listen to their bodies where if you're skipping breakfast, because you're trying to do intermittent fasting, and then you're finding yourself gaining weight or waking up throughout the night, probably not the right dose of medicine for you at this time, right? If you're exercising too, if you're exercising, and you feel worse after the exercise that you're doing, and you feel like you have to recover for a few days, probably not the right dose for you. And really tuning into your body and seeing how you feel. Typically, the women that I start working with, they're the individuals that are skipping breakfast and they're waking, they're carrying a bit extra weight and they're waking up in the middle of the night and they have trouble falling asleep. So a lot of times what I'll say is like, keep a banana by your bedside so that when you wake up, you can fall back asleep easier just going on that banana. And let's actually get more calories throughout the day into your system. We're going to do smoothies that are easy to digest and try to move your caloric intake. Initially, it might be like you wake up in the morning and you eat right away. And then, you know, you're going to have a snack before bedtime. And then over time, we can shrink that window once we really focus on balancing your blood sugar. Because there are things like, for example, if you have a inositol deficiency, which a lot of women with anxiety and thyroid issues seem to have some kind of a functional inositol deficiency. If you have a carnitine deficiency, that can prevent you from fasting properly and being able to, to get into ketosis really well. So I just really try to try to meet people where they're at, if that makes sense. And I, my goal is for people to like understand their bodies and understand the symptoms that their bodies are communicating to them. So I guess it's a long winded answer. I think it can work really, really well for some people. It has worked really well for me. If you are feeling worse with it, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing, I doing it. I would actually recommend eating on a schedule to kind of set yourself up with getting more calories in during like the daylight hours. Even like some of the women, I'll say like, eat every two to three hours within the first month as we're really focusing on, you know, I, and I'm not just doing diet, I'm also doing supplements, and doing some of the light exposure and some of the mindset works to really bring it all together so that you could be more metabolically flexible, right, as time goes on.
2: I love that so much. I think it's just, it's so unique for different people. And even like, cause I've gone down the rabbit hole looking at the studies on fasting and cortisol levels and things like that. And I mean, I've seen studies showing completely different things. Like I've seen them showing that it helps with normalizing stress-related hormones and endocrine hormones. And then I've seen like that it exacerbates issues. So I just feel like it's so, so unique. Oh, the banana thing. It reminds me of, because we were talking before the call about Dave Asprey and I've been following his work for so long, like decade. I remember when I first heard him talking about having honey in the middle of the night and I was like, whoa. I was like, that seems like the antithesis of what he'd been talking about. But I think it, just as far as like the low carb approach to things, but I just think it speaks to how I mean it's like the theme of this episode not getting wedded to these, you know, one mentalities and approaches especially if they're not working for you. So that is fabulous to hear. Okay, going back to the the triggers thing. So I love, well first of all listeners, so there's so much in this book as far as when it does come to the mindset aspect and how to make you know, interventions in your life for you know, positive mindsets and pleasurable activities and all of, all of these things that you can do. I loved the triggering section. I love the boundaries section. I'm super curious. So with with the triggering specifically, because you talked about in your personal story about how like one of the moments when you realized that you were, you know, falling back into the health issues and adrenal dysfunction was when like your mom called and you were, you know, annoyed that she called. So being annoyed or irritable or triggered by things, is that the cause or effect of adrenal issues?
0: I mean, it can be both, right? So it's always for me like a rule of thumb. It's like, if you look around the room and you're like, this person's annoying, this person's annoying, this person's annoying, and my dog, if you breathe any louder, like I'm going to put you out back for the rest of the day, right? So it's like some people, yes, could be annoying and triggering and just like you know, energy vampires to be around, but also if you have very little energy to interact with others, if you're very easily overwhelmed, even by like day-to-day activities, everything feels like a marathon to you. It's probably like not necessarily them, right? It's probably you. And we need to work on your resilience a bit because you I mean, unless your mom is like a super awful person that calls you 35 times a day and yells at you, probably you shouldn't be annoyed when your mom calls to say hello, right?
2: Yeah. No, it's so funny. Uh, it's me. I'm the problem. Well, another question also related to that, the concept of boundaries. I love talking about boundaries. I think they're so important. I think one of the biggest for me personally, as far as my own health issues and energy and life has been reframing boundaries as something... Well, first of all, I think people see boundaries and they think that they're like a negative thing, like that that's like being rude to people or shutting people out or being selfish. They think it's being selfish. What I've come to learn is that in order to have energy and thrive and protect yourself, like you have to have boundaries. And that's the way, and doing that for yourself is how you can you know, most help other people. So what have you found when it comes to people having boundaries and people with adrenal issues?
0: You know, I found that a lack of boundaries can cause us to burn ourselves out, right? And so if we're the person that somebody's like, oh, you need to do, can you do this favor for me? Or can you do this with me? And you're trying to be nice and you don't have proper boundaries. You're going to keep pushing yourself past the point where you should be. And so really a big, big step for people is starting to say no to a lot of things and really creating the space for themselves to heal maybe for some people that does involve decommitting from the things that they're doing one one kind of thing that i've that i've been very mindful of is sometimes you know our boundaries may not be compatible with another person's needs right so some sometimes a person might need something from us and we have boundaries where we're just not able to do that and sometimes that can feel that can be, feel very challenging and difficult, and it may impact relationships, right? Especially if, if you know, this person's used to you picking them up every single day and taking them shopping for a six-hour shopping spree, and all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, I have, I've got no money, I've got no time, I got to set some boundaries." You know, that can that can certainly change and shift dynamics.
2: That just made me think. Have you found with the people that you've worked with, because there's all these different. Options of stress creation in the body. And, you know, we're talking about this thesis that we're overwhelmed with all these chronic stressors and our body needs to feel safe and it can't feel safe if it's not physically nourished, if it doesn't feel safe, you know, mentally. Are we also unique in that aspect? And what I mean by that is, are some people's bodies, they just don't get as stressed by lack of nutrition, whereas some people do. And then on the flip side, with like the mindset and the boundaries, like some people, their bodies just don't get as stressed by stuff like that. And other people's do like, how you, how unique is it by interpreting the stressors?
0: Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, if you're an extrovert, right? Like going to seven parties. Yes. That's a question. Yes. That's great. Like that might be, you know, your jam. You're like, I feel so happy. I got to go to seven different parties. If you're an introvert and you know, you hear like, Oh, I should be spending time in community and that's completely draining for you. then. Of course, there's differences in personality and some people get super nervous doing public speaking, for example, right? For me, that doesn't stress me out. I know I'm going to mess up things. I know I'm going to forget things. I might make funny faces. It just doesn't really bother me. Like I can publicly speak all day and that that really doesn't bother me, right? But if I had to clean my house for like every single day, like that would be overwhelming for me, right?
2: Having your son, what was some of the big takeaways you learned for how to tackle that when it comes to the, all of the newfound stressors that come along with that? That's a huge question, I know. And people get the book because you, you, <laughs> you put a lot of stuff in the book. Um, but maybe just like a few things. Because you just mentioned like not liking cleaning. For example,
0: yes, laundry—all the piles of laundry—it's like never-ending. When you have like you have one little person and they, they have so much laundry, it's like how do you do it? All right, and this little person comes with so many things. It's like you've got the crib and the vest in it and all the things. So for me personally, like all the clutter was overwhelming from like all of the baby things everywhere. And so one of the one of the things that that helped me a lot was just becoming more of a minimalist with things to create a little bit more space for my son and his things. If that makes sense. Cause it's like life, my life was already pretty full before I had him. And then I had him and it was like, there's baby stuff everywhere on top of all of my stuff. So just kind of reevaluating what I really needed in my life. And it turned out I didn't need like 50 pairs of shoes, right? Like that don't fit anymore and like dresses that I wore in college and and whatnot so really just creating that space and becoming more of a minimalist. We have all of our clothes in the same closet now so that we don't have to like go to 27 different places to put away laundry.
2: farm direct beans for their quality their superb flavor and their elevated performance i love the taste of it it's much richer and more nuanced than bulletproof coffee it's honestly one of the best coffees i've ever tasted and it's so exciting to know that when i'm drinking it i'm actually helping to remineralize my body so that's right if you want your coffee to contain antioxidants anti-inflammatories micronutrients and help optimize your fasting you want danger coffee. And of course I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. That's smart. There's a really, really nice section in the book where you talk about getting more time. Like people think they don't have time. You mention a lot of things people can try to you know, to tackle that, especially, especially little things like auto paying bills. Like it's like the little things that really add up and you, and you don't realize. So I love the practicality there. You've mentioned a lot of supplements throughout the interview and in the book you have, and in your program, you have six core supplements. And I think people get very overwhelmed by the supplement world. How did you decide which to have in your six core supplements? How did you come to that decision?
0: I kind of got to a point where, you know, a lot of people working with functional medicine practitioners, it was like they got put on 25 different supplements, right? And that can be overwhelming and stressful in itself, trying to like, remember all of these things you have to take and swallowing the pills, so on and so forth. And you're like, what is working? What's not working? And so I wanted to find supplements that had that I knew could produce really powerful results. For me, in general, if a supplement's going to work, you should see some benefits within three to five days for something. And for a lot of the supplements that I've chose, that's what they do. They help people feeling better within a few short days, sometimes a few short weeks. And then I also wanted to choose supplements that were multi-purpose. So for example, carnitine is one of the supplements that I chose. And I think it's the primary reason why 92% of people will have less brain fog when they the program is because of carnitine. Now, carnitine can help with getting rid of ammonia in our bodies. Ammonia can cause brain fog. It's something that's produced when we don't digest our foods properly, when we have certain stress-related infections like H. pylori. So carnitine clears out ammonia. It also helps to support a healthy muscle function. So a lot of times people, when they go through this adrenal dysfunction, their body gets stuck in a breaking itself down mode and they might have some muscle deterioration and muscle wasting. Carnitine builds back muscle. Carnitine has been studied for resolving fatigue. So it is very effective for that. It helps with carrying fatty acids into the mitochondria so that you can produce more ATP and energy. It also helps you to fast better. So if you're somebody that cannot fast, carnitine deficiency could be at the root. Other benefits, it can help, you know, because it strengthens the muscles in your small intestine, it can actually help with having healthier bowel movements. And so every supplement that I've chosen, I'm like, this has so many different benefits. Like I could choose this to do this, or I could choose this supplement, and it does five to seven different things in in your body, right?
2: I definitely need to look more into this carnitine fasting connection. To supplement it, is it taken with meals or on an empty stomach?
0: I generally, some people might find that they can take it with food. I generally, most supplements, I recommend taking with food in case, you know, some people might get an upset stomach if they take it on an empty stomach.
2: Okay, gotcha. And because you have your supplement line, Rootcology, do you have a carnitine? You do, right?
0: I do. And the one that I like to use has acetyl-L-carnitine and that's blended with L-carnitine. Acetyl-L-carnitine is helpful for our brain. And then the L-carnitine is helpful kind of for, for our body. And then, I mean, they both work for both areas, but I wanted to combine both of them. So acetyl-L-carnitine help with like memory and it's considered a nootropic and I utilize a blend of those. I have found to work really, really well in the individuals that have utilized it. There's other companies on the market that make it though too. So,
2: Well, that is awesome. And for listeners, so you can actually get 10% off Isabella's Cology line with the coupon code Melanie Avalon. So thank you so much for that because I know that especially after this interview and reading the book, they're probably going to want to stock up on all the things. And so for all the six supplements that you have, you have versions of all of them, correct, in your line?
0: Yes, the Rucology line has all of them. And then I have some alternatives in the back of the book as well. So different kind of brands that you could utilize too.
2: Okay, so that's the carnitine. I would love to hear more about the the myonositol. Do you know Cynthia Thurlow, by chance? Yes, uh-huh. Okay. She was my co-host of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, actually up until this week that we're recording. But she actually recently released a myo-inositol as well. So I've been hearing all about it. So it was exciting to read your book and learn even more about it. Like briefly, what does it do? Why is it so great?
0: So myo-inositol used to be considered a B vitamin. Generally, vitamins are things we can't produce on our own, but because our body does produce it naturally, it was declassified. But it is something that has seems to be low in people with, with conditions like PCOS, with blood sugar issues, with diabetes, with obsessive compulsive disorder, as well as in people with thyroid issues. So I started really working with it a few years ago after a study came out that in women with subclinical hypothyroidism, taking myo-inositol could normalize their thyroid function in some cases completely. And when it's combined with selenium, that their thyroid condition, like Hashimoto's with antibodies and, and an elevated TSH, which indicates low thyroid function, just taking those two nutrients together can get some people into remission. So their antibodies can go in the normal range and their thyroid function can normalize. I'm like, wow, I wish I knew this about this when I was first diagnosed. This research wasn't out yet, but this is something that I've been utilizing for people and it does help with supporting thyroid function to the point where I'll say, if you're on thyroid meds and if you're starting myo be sure that you monitor that thyroid function with your doctor because in some cases, some people may need to lower their dosage of thyroid meds and even come off of their medications once they address that myo-inositol issue. And then it's also, so it's so helpful for blood sugar issues. I oftentimes will recommend it in the bedtime so that people can help, can sleep better throughout the night and may be helpful for balancing reactive hypoglycemia. Interestingly, it's also used in obsessive compulsive disorder. I have about 700 milligrams that I'll recommend or, you know, the adrenal transformation protocol. But some people may wish to use dosages that are a bit higher. And so I have it in powder form for conditions like OCD or PCOS. But it is something, you know, I always say, like, you may wish to use it with caution with hypoglycemia, just see how you do with it first. But it is incredible. It's been studied for diabetes, for PCOS. And in my experience, people feel more calm with it, they sleep better. And their, you know, their blood sugar issues improve significantly.
2: Well, I've definitely been hearing, yeah, like I said, a lot about it from Cynthia. I wonder in that study, did they compare just myonositol and just selenium or did they just compare the combination?
0: There are a few different studies and I can share a link to my blog about the various studies that have been done. There are studies done on just selenium by itself and studies done on just myonositol by itself for thyroid function. And they both have benefits, but when they're used synergistically in a dose of 600 of the myo-inositol and 83 micrograms of the 600 milligrams of myo-inositol and 83 micrograms of selenium, there seems to be this synergistic effect where you will get more benefits than utilizing either one alone.
2: Wow. Do you have a product that is that combination or do you have them a la carte?
0: I do have a selenium and myonacetol, and it's called drum roll, selenium and myonacetol. Yes. Awesome.
2: So for listeners, that's awesome. Okay. So remember coupon code, Melanie Avalon to get 10% off that for rootcology. I love also that you talk about Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a beneficial yeast. So you have you found with that, because the probiotic world is very overwhelming, you found that patients in particular react well to that one in comparison to like bacterial probiotic strains?
0: So this one is probiotic yeast. And one of the magical things that it does is it helps to raise our secretory IgA levels, which are depleted when we're under a lot of stress. So secretory IgA helps. It's an immunoglobulin secreted in our gut that helps to protect our gut barrier from invading pathogens. It helps us be more tolerant of various foods. Typically, if a person has low secretory IgA, they might be the person that might go out with a group of people for sushi. And, you know, they're the only one that gets sick after. And so raising secretory IgA levels can actually help us with preventing like food-related illness, preventing food sensitivities. Also, it can help us with with clearing out certain infections. So some of the, you know, kind of like, where does adrenal dysfunction come from? A lot of it it can be coming from an inflammatory process in the body, such as a gut infection. The more common one I've seen in people with Hashimoto's is blastocystis hominis. It's a protozoan parasite, There's also H. pylori, which is a stress-related infection that can be tied to thyroid issues, acid reflux, even stomach cancer. And sarcomyces boulardii just helps our body become more resilient. So if if you're taking other kinds of herbs or medications to clear out infections, it can help them work better. And for some infections, just using that by itself can help clear things out. It can also help rebalance the gut flora. If you have too much candida in your system, if you have too much mold in your system, it can be helpful for, you know, clearing out some of the ammonia that can cause brain fog. And it's it's one of those great probiotics that can also be used with people who have SIBO. Because a lot of probiotics unfortunately, you know, if you have SIBO or if you have histamine issues, you may not be able to tolerate them but bulardi is is one of the ones that most people do well with unless they're immune compromised
2: was it difficult for you to source that like was there a lot of options when it came to choosing your source for it
0: i had used ones that were like needed to be kept in the fridge before and i used to recommend those to my clients but It it's you know for me I'm always like how do you make it easy for people like compliance and adherence and so when you keep a probiotic in the fridge sometimes it's like you forget to take it right and so I wanted one and and it's also something that I love utilizing for travel so you can just put it in your travel bag and you know you're going on an exotic beach vacation in a foreign country you probably need to support your secretory IGA it has also been studied for like preventing foodborne illness. So I wanted one that was heat stable. So that's the one that I have by Rootcology. So you do not need to keep it in the fridge, right? And you can put it in your travel bag and you could take it on vacation with you and you can keep it, put it in your pill organizer so that you remember to take it versus like, you know, like, oh, it's in the fridge and I forgot to take it again.
2: Well, for listeners, we'll put links to all of this in the show notes. And yes, again, coupon code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. So, one very last quick thing, because I want to be really respectful of your time on the movement side of things, because you mentioned movement. You mentioned in the book, this concept in like animals, when they experience a stressful situation, they like shake after <laughs> to shake off those stress hormones, which I find fascinating. So, This concept of movement, is it good for dealing with stress or can it be too much? And I know we're running out of time and there's like the whole, there's a lot here with like anabolic versus catabolic exercise, but in general, how do you suggest that people approach movement and they can get all the, all the details in your book?
0: Movement can be incredibly healing. Generally speaking, if you are somebody that is in that catabolic process, your body's breaking itself down doing things like aerobic exercise or high intensity exercise might be too much for you at this time. So you may need to really get more into a balanced state where you're doing exercise that's more relaxing. So like yoga or Tai Chi, perhaps doing some walking or hiking in nature and doing some muscle, like weightlifting exercises that can help you build more muscle. So you become more in that anabolic state. The the kind of rule of thumb that I give to people is if you're feeling worse after you do your exercise, you know, everybody's like, do exercise, it'll make you give you more energy. And you're like, I did exercise and I had to like sleep for three days straight, probably not the dose of medicine right for you at this time. And so you may wish to either reduce the, the amount of time you're doing that exercise, the intensity or even the type of exercise. So a lot of the women that I've worked with, with like the chronic fatigue and Adrenal dysfunction and hypothyroidism, we're, you know, they're like, I'm trying to lose weight. And so I'm going on these long, you know, power walks or running to try to lose weight. And then I'll say, actually, you know, based on your adrenal symptoms, I would recommend that you pull back from that for 30 days and see what happens. And they're like, oh my gosh, no, I don't want to gain weight. And then it ends up happening that you can actually get into a healthier metabolic state because Sometimes, you know, it's like if you're sleep deprived, if you're feeling stress in your life, you know, you have too much stress and you tip that scale, exercise can be too much for our system and it could send more of a danger signal. So it's, for me, it's all about like, what's the balance. And so if you're not sleeping at night and you're not eating well enough, you're not eating for blood sugar balance, you're eating a lot of inflammatory foods. And then certain types of exercise can be just too much and too inflammatory. And then your body gets this message. It's like, oh no, we're in a famine because we're not eating enough. And we must be chased by a bear because we keep running on a treadmill. And so, and we're keeping watch late at night because we're not sleeping. So obviously we must be in a war. Let's shift into this adrenal dysfunction conservation state. And so it, it, you know, again, it depends on where you are in that state. So generally speaking, socializing is really great for us. and Being able to fast is going to be really great for us. And Doing exercise is going to be great for us, but it's like, you've got to figure out your medicine and is it is this the right time for it and what's the dose, right?
2: Seems to be the theme of everything. And actually speaking of, just really quick, just speaking of balance and uniqueness, you have a very extensive overview of adaptogens in the book. And I know people have a lot of questions about that. So friends, get the book, get Adrenal Transformation Protocol to learn all about those. But are adaptogens something where it's also very unique, to the individual? Like, do they have to find the adaptogen that works for them? Or do you find that some adaptogens tend to work for everybody?
0: Generally speaking, if you're somebody that's sensitive to supplements and I, I've worked with so many people that I have enough people that are like, I'm just sensitive to everything or they might have certain life situations like they're, maybe they're nursing moms or they might have estrogen dominance or other kinds of things going on. It's like, maybe you just start with one adaptogen and see how you do with it. Before you add anything else. And there's ones that are a little bit more gentle, like holy basil, and that can be used for tea. Rhodiola and Raishi is generally pretty gentle as well. You know, if you're somebody with high blood pressure, I wouldn't recommend that you utilize licorice. If you are somebody that needs more support in the libido department, maybe doing some maca and shatabri, those might be helpful things for you. And then, you know, for the average person, if you are you know, looking for an adaptogenic blend, you can actually utilize a few of them together and they can work in synergy with one another. And, and then you don't have to take a whole bunch of them. I personally, you know, am able to take, I'm, I'm not a person that's very sensitive to supplements. So I do really well with like a blend of, of various adaptogens where I'll have some ashwagandha there and some ginseng, and then I'll do a little bit of holy basil in addition and I do well with that. But again, it depends on your, your unique makeup, right? So not everybody can do a whole bunch of adaptogens at once.
2: Well, thank you so much, Isabella. I've been looking forward to this for so long. And like I said, I've been following your work for so many years and I just think what you're doing is so incredible, so life-changing for so many people. The last question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it's it's appropriate for our conversation, but it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset really is. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: I'm grateful for my family and for having the opportunity to connect with so many brilliant people like yourself. And for, I'm grateful for being able to take my journey and some of my pains that I have gone through and to have created something to help others heal.
2: Thank you so much. I am so grateful for you. And I really appreciate the science and the nuance and the intelligence that you bring. And then also the, you know, you've worked with so many people. So clearly there's, you know, a reason that this is all working. And then you just have a really, it's so wonderful to meet you because you just have such a beautiful, vibrant spirit. Hopefully we can meet in real life. We were talking before the call about how you live in Austin along with everybody else. (laughs) So I got to come visit. But this has been so amazing. How can people best get your work, follow your work and get your book?
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a delight to meet another kindred spirit. And hopefully we'll get to hang out in Austin soon. For anybody that's looking to help themselves heal, my website is thyroidpharmacist.com. And I have a new book called Adrenal Transformation Protocol. It's a four-week plan to release stress symptoms and go from surviving to thriving. I also have uh, three books about reversing Hashimoto's, including a dietary book that has recipes. So if you have thyroid issues or Hashimoto's, please please come. I you know would love to help you on your healing journey.
2: Awesome. Well, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so, so much and enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully we can talk again in the future.
0: Likewise, looking forward to it. Bye. Thank you so much for listening
1: to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com feel free to contact me at podcast at melanieavalon.com and always remember you got this